Welcome to 501 Crossroads, your show all about nonprofits and the people that make the mission happen. I'm Marjorie Moore, President and CEO of Mind's Eye, and my personal mission is to make nonprofits stronger by identifying and fixing the rubs that so often come up between people and the mission. And so I've got a chance to meet one of our keynote speakers at the AFP uh, Conference on Philanthropy. So really excited to talk today to Scott Lang, who is the new uh, CEO and executive partner with Gerald Panis, Lindsay, and Partners. Um, Scott has over 30 years of leadership experience on the front line as a gift officer, chief development officer, software entrepreneur, and consultant. So, Scott, welcome. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, it's a delight. Thank you, Marjorie, for the invitation. Absolutely. So, first, just tell us a little bit about yourself. So, born in Ohio, raised in New England, went to school in uh, Pennsylvania, Graduated with a degree in political science, which made me eminently qualified <laughs> for graduate school. Uh, and my father asked how I was going to finance that, so I got a job as an admissions representative at Blackburn College in uh, in Illinois. Oh man! <laughs> and that was my first introduction to uh, uh, college university work. Six months later, got into the advancement profession, and have been uh, happily engaged ever since. So since you started, you know, your early days in advancement in colleges and it looks like some hospitals, what tricks did you learn or tips that you learned in those really early days that you still use today? Uh, two. Um, at the end of the summer, our dean of admissions asked us to identify all the students that uh, qualified for admissions who were accepted and matriculated and separate them from those that we accepted who then went someplace else. Mm -hmm. And we listed every characteristic you could think of, test scores, grade point average, extracurricular activity, uh, whether or not they'd been visited uh, by a faculty member, seen by a student, whether we saw them at a high school fair, et cetera. At the end of the day, when we categorized the two groups of people, the only distinguishing feature between those that qualified and matriculated and those did not was the quality and quantity of contact. Wow. If I met with Mary Beth, if I talked to her family and I got the family to come to campus, 85% of those people actually matriculated. So it was an early lesson in the, uh, in the concept of uh, engagement and, and communication as a, as a motivator. For those who are interested in the educational product we happen to offer. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. But that translated easily to major gift work. Yeah. Um, the second lesson came also early on at Roanoke College when I was the director of development. Um, I simply took the list of donors and stacked it on its head from the family that gave the most money to the family that gave the least and discovered that there were 35 who generated 90% of our money in the course of a year. And so we were embarking on a campaign, and my charge was simple, to ask each of those to consider doubling what they had done before and to get someone they knew to invite them into the same top-tier donor club. Mm -hmm. So a year later, we had, instead of 35 members, we had 45 members, and we had 50% of the campaign goal. Well. <laughs> so the, the concept of the 80-20 rule, the application of uh, connecting and communicating with people and the value of both uh, – in terms of identifying people that uh, share an interest in your mission and vision for the future, I think is paramount to success. Two early lessons, easily and readily identifiable as, as practical and actionable that I've just 
abided by ever since. Absolutely. And that contact lesson, I think, you know, for people practicing any part of nonprofits, whether it's, you know, with your board or with your volunteers or with your clients, um, I, I could see that just having practical applications across the entire sector for everybody that we touch. Oh, absolutely. And when you look at studies and surveys of um, attitude and engagement, uh, what you discover is the more people are involved, uh, whether it's volunteers or the number of times people from the, the college, university, hospital, or Boys and Girls Club, YMCA, have visited with them and talked to them about what they're doing or what they want to do, the more they give. That's amazing. So you're a new hire at Gerald Panis, Lindsay and Partners. Um, you know, Gerald Panis is the, considered the, uh, the granddaddy of fundraising. And uh, what's it like to be part of that? It's, um, it's a humbling experience. It's uh, <clears throat> filled with a great sense of awe, wonder, and responsibility. The charge is to preserve, protect, and promote the body of knowledge that Jerry has developed over uh, the years um, and extend that to the next generation. Um, it's remarkable the number of people with, with whom I come in contact who state that their introduction um, to our business was either reading one of Jerry's books or attending uh, one of his sessions at the Institute for Charitable Giving. Um, and they're impactful, meaningful, and I think he's uh, actually helped create a um, generation, if not more than a generation, of fundraising pro professionals who have a passion about doing good in the world and doing it uh, with excellence and, and dedication. So it's just a, you know, a thrill for me and honor. We've got a wonderful uh, team of, of partners and professionals at, uh, at the firm, uh, equally dedicated both to the principles and ethics that he embodies and uh, uh, the mission of, of the work that our clients are doing, which over time is in excess of 3,900. Um, there are some 12,500 people who've been through the, uh, um, the Charitable Giving Institute. So it's, uh, it, it, it's remarkable to see, it's, and it's just a, a privilege for me to be a part of that. That's amazing. So fill in the blank. In the next two years, if they let me do blank, this job would be totally worth it. Well, the job's already totally worth it. That's a that's a that's a given. Um, my my desire is that we will um, infect in a good way uh, an, another tier of uh, young professionals with in, in enthusiasm and dedication to get into this uh, practice, mm -hmm. um, and that we'll continue to be on the forefront of. Uh, uh, education and technique. I think that's one of the hallmarks of the firm, our, our ability to innovate. Uh, it was Jerry who had the insight to uh, interview the largest donors in America. Uh, and from that interview process, he wrote the, uh, uh, the seminal work, Mega Gifts. Mm -hmm. uh, I think at the time, the ethos was that wealthy people gave because there was a some sense of guilt for how they acquired their wealth and be uh, some value to the tax deduction mm -hmm. that they were in it for some enlightened self-purpose. And the, the, the result of his interviews discovered uh, the exact opposite. Number one, they gave because they believed in the mission of the enterprise. 
Number two, they trusted the leadership of the organization at the board and CEO level. Uh, number three, um, the organization had a track record of success and efficacy. And fourth, and most important to you and me as development professionals, is they were asked to give. That's half the battle, right? Yeah. Just doing the ask. <laughs> so the so the tax piece actually ended up, you know, nine or ten on a list of about twelve things, mm -hmm. and I think that's important to uh, uh, to remember. And then that's going to be part of my conversation uh, later in the day about uh, uh, the value proposition of, of philanthropy, and uh, we see that in healthcare where it's actually part of the healing process. People mm -hmm. want to give back and ensure that others don't suffer the way that someone in their family has. Uh, has had to deal with a particular uh, illness or incident, so um, it's 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 deeply pers uh, personal and 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 rewarding, and an avenue for people to fulfill personal philanthropic priorities um, in an intentional fashion. Um, so, being part of this process of uh, extending. The body of knowledge that Jerry is, uh, has created is uh, terrifically rewarding for each of us who are members of the firm. Absolutely. So there has been actually quite a bit of debate going back and forth lately about the, um, the tax deduction for charitable giving. Um, some people saying, let's take it off the table completely, and some people saying, let's extend it. Both sides of the aisle seem to be saying both things. Um, what do you think would be the impact of either, or would there be an impact? You know, I'm not, I'm, I'm, A, I'm not politically savvy enough to know. What I can tell you is that our colleagues in the United Kingdom raise money successfully where there is no tax deduction. Oh, that's true, yeah. Um, I, I think that when people see a need, uh, as de Tocqueville uh, noted, uh, we in the Western uh, world, and particularly in America, are inclined to uh, come together and resolve it. We're seeing that in Houston right now with a terrific response to the flood. I was watching this morning where people were showing up with board, boats at the border to help <laughs> pull people out. Um, so, you know, personally, I'd like to be able to continue to uh, deduct mm -hmm. uh, both my mortgage payment and, my, uh, and a percentage of my uh, charitable uh, contribution. But I don't think that would stop me either from uh, buying a house or making a gift. Okay, that makes complete sense to me. I know uh, in my personal family, my my mom donates because she loves to donate, and my mm -hmm. dad allows allows it goes along with it because he likes a tax deduction. <laughs> so you know, well, I, said, I mean, if it's there, you want to take advantage of it, right? I mean, that's, <laughs> so I, and it, I do think it it encourages people, and there have been um, there have been in the estate planning area. Uh, folks who have considered certain avenues or, or mechanics for giving because there was a uh, uh, an implication uh, that was beneficial to not just themselves but more importantly the the beneficiary, uh, mm -hmm. the philanthropic beneficiary, the charitable beneficiary. Um, but you know if. Um, if, 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 as we see in the Giving USA statistics, uh, philanthropy tends to track with gross domestic, domestic product and the stock market and um, uh, personal income. Mm -hmm. uh, if those slope lines go up, mm -hmm. charitable giving will go up. Mm -hmm. um, and your next listener 
with an accounting degree will probably be better qualified <laughs> to address this situation than I. But that's just my 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 take on the on the issue. I think the biggest issue for each charitable organization to uh, deal with is their case for support. Mm-hmm. Um, a friend of mine years ago said, Scott, if, if you were to close your doors tomorrow and no one would notice, what business do you have raising money? And I think he's oh, absolutely yeah. correct. Uh, we have to be able to demonstrate the value of what we do, the lives we touch, and how the world is a better place because of the uh, the, the skills, the service, the facilities that, that we provide. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the overriding issue. If we've got mission, if we have a vision for the future, and we show people a way that they can engage in that, I think success is the uh, the only outcome. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So you've got one of those careers that when someone reads your bio, um, they could begin to wonder how you could have done all of this. I mean, I'm you- really old. <laughs> I started at a young age. <laughs> Seriously, I think when I when I got involved in this, I was one of three people of whom I'm aware at the time that went directly from college into the advancement profession. Mm-hmm. I think typically the career path was, um, you know, become a minister, yeah. <laughs> become a faculty member or administrator, and then glide into this. You mm-hmm. know, ten years later, um, and I was fortunate at an early age. I was. Uh, uh, counseled and, and, and mentored and, and tutored by some of the nation's best uh, uh, practitioners of our craft. So part of this is giving back and doing for others the way I was generously uh, given time with uh, with the people that were meaningful in my early career. Absolutely. So you've kind of dipped your toe in and out of the, the nonprofit sector, kind of going in the for-profit part of the nonprofit sector. What's kept you in this kind of crazy world of fundraising the whole way through? I think at the core, Marjorie, it's a it's a, um, a, a a sense of purpose. I've been um, fortunate to work with organizations um, that have really made a, a, a difference um, in the lives of the constituents that they served. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, whether it was uh, you know the University of Missouri or World Hope International, um, or even my you know, attempt at uh, bringing, bringing best practices in, in major gift fundraising uh, to the table when I designed a, a prospect management system, a CRM system. Um, the, 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 the focus has always been the, the same, and that's to, uh, to help others and to indicate that there's a role that each of us can play and should play in um, having a positive impact. Uh, by getting personally involved. Mm-hmm. Very cool. So now you've co-founded not just one, but two AFP chapters. Um, you didn't learn from the first one how to do that? <laughs> well, it's because I happened to travel and move, yeah. right? So when I was in Virginia, uh, my dear friend uh, Mark Whitaker and I uh, co-founded the uh, uh, first Virginia chapter. Uh, and then when I moved here you know, to... Um, uh, Central Missouri in, in, in Columbia and was working at Mizzou, created the Central Missouri chapter. Um, and I've been active uh, in, in uh, 
AFP, served on the national board, served as a track dean for the international conference and a speaker at the international conference. And, and one of the things I think that's unique to this profession is the ability of people and willingness of people to get together, meet on a regular basis, and share best practices. Mm -hmm. um, individuals I've met in other professions have not found um, their professional associations as um, forthcoming with yes. trade secrets. <laughs> there's a sense that there's, uh, uh, that there's uh, you know, competitive waters, and I believe we as a, as a practice think that a rising tide actually raises all boats. So mm -hmm. um, there's a genuine uh, interest in uh, what each of us is doing at our respective sites uh, that I think uh, brings value both to professional development and to the things we learn that we're able to translate and put in action when we're back behind our own desks working for the organizations we represent. Um, so I think AFP um, is, uh, you know, uh, has, a, has a singular role in that, in, in, in that world at the local level, and I'm pleased to be a part of it. Yeah, it's really a great organization, and you don't, you're right, you don't see that in all professions. Um, I don't even think that you see it, the, the collegiality, even in other professional organizations within nonprofits. It, it seems to be something really special that fundraisers seem to have to be willing to share, which you'd think they'd be the most competitive yeah. of us all. <laughs> well, I think we understand that, you know, if, if you're in higher education, uh, uh, very few people got their undergraduate degree from the from different places. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <Right>? Yeah, <laughs> there's usually only one. Um, you know, uh, people that uh, identify with a particular hospital um, are fairly allegiant to the practitioners there, their surgeon, their doctor, the nursing staff. Um, the same is true of the community-based organizations that people get involved with, whether it's the Y, Big Brothers, Big Sisters, uh, uh, you know, Habitat for Humanity, um, Humane Society. If you're passionate about something and you get involved in that, uh, fortunately, there's there's an outlet for every personality type and interest. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> Which is kind of neat. I, I, I love that part about fundraising. I never feel like I'm competing with anybody. It's just, you know, we're all yeah. in this together. Yeah. So one of our favorite props on the show is our Magic 8-Ball. Um, what trends do you think are going to impact uh, fundraisers the most in the next 10 years or so? So I think we're still wrestling with the, uh, the impact of Moore's Law <laughs> and technology um, and the pace at which um, that brings change in, in terms of how we interact mm -hmm. with people. Um, I don't think we'll ever eliminate the need for personal one-on-one -on -one interaction, but I do think we'll find we'll continue to find more innovative ways to utilize technology to deliver a message, to engage interested parties, and to steward donors in a fashion um, that's more efficient and effective and and personalized. Um, <clears throat> And in so much as Bill Gates couldn't see the future and Steve Jobs couldn't see the future, I mean, it, the technology just it explodes at, <laughs> at such a rate. The only thing I can tell you is that five years from now, it'll be different. I think that's a good prediction. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, so over time, do you think that, you know, obviously foundations have been really big on outcomes and, you know, logic models and all of that kind of stuff over the, over the past, you know, several years. Do you think individual donors, especially at the lower levels, are going to start being even more interested in those things or they're going to continue to rely on the good work of the nonprofit? Yeah, I think that's, I think that's universal. I think every donor wants to know how that their, <clears throat> their investment was, was invested and utilized wisely. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I, I find family foundations more and more interested in aligning uh, with organizations that first match the interests of the family, but secondly, have an ability to report back on, on what they did. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that stewardship is a, is a, is a key a- aspect. Uh, venture philanthropy was the first nod to, to, to this concept of bringing business practices to charitable uh, giving and actually translated the mindset so that shareholders become stakeholders mm-hmm. in a nonprofit enter- enterprise and and I think appropriately hold people accountable. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a good it it's a, it's a good circle. Um, so I think there'll be I think there'll be more of that. Uh, and I'll be speaking later today. One of the the, the studies that was done by uh, U.S. Trust on major gift philanthropy includes the fact that uh, many of uh, the nation's wealthiest donors, most affluent donors, uh, give to eight or more organizations. Wow. So they're invested in a number of, of things uh, and I think view each with the same degree of, of interest and accountability. Mm-hmm. That's excellent. So let's say we have one of those, those sweet, naive, fresh out of college development coordinators uh, sitting in, fr- in front of us. Um, what would you tell them to do to be ready for where their career might take them over the next several years? Um, be open. Be interested. Be passionate. Be aggressive. Be positive. Um, one of the early lessons I learned was that you will come across people who will say no to a proposal or a gift request. And um, the first reaction might be to suggest that they were saying no to me or you personally, when in fact it was not a personal insult or injury. It was simply the fact that, that our organization or that particular project wasn't the right thing for them at that point in time. Um, and that fortunately there are more people on the prospect list and donor list and membership list <laughs> than I could possibly ever visit. Yeah, so, absolutely. you know, dust yourself off, put a smile back <laughs> on your face and go see the next person. Um, because really it, 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 it is an, an opportunity to um, extend the mission. And the other lesson is always leave the room smiling. So even if someone says no, uh, make sure that you're able to say thank you for their time and their consideration because you never know when down the road that person may remember what a positive experience they had, what uh, passion you had in representing the mission of the enterprise, uh, and they may come to the table. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, that's So awesome. go at it. If you're young, it. go at it. Mm-hmm. Go do it. Um, find yourself... Uh, um, some good books to read, find yourself some good friends and professionals uh, with whom you can, uh, you know, uh, trade stories and, uh, 
and, and coach one another and just um, do what's do do what's best for the uh, for the organization you represent. And if you find yourself at an organization where you're really not aligned with their mission, um, then find yourself a spot at an organization that does parallel with your uh, uh, priorities and, and passions because uh, uh, the people with whom you come in contact will recognize early on if you're not as dedicated to the, uh, to the organization as they are. Oh, absolutely. We've seen that many times. That moving is not a bad thing. Yeah. <laughs> so you, uh, when talking about making connections, um, you've done your fair share of speaking at assorted different conferences. Um, if the, if the. Those are assorted different conferences. Yes. Not sorted. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so if, let's say the, the conference donor fairy dropped down on all of our listeners and said, I will give you the money to go to two national, international conferences, uh, this year, you know, but you know, it has to be for staff development and it, you know, you, you have to use it for this. You can't use it on, you know, operations or your coolest new project. What two would you suggest that our listeners go to? You're going to, you know, put me in a, in a, in a bind in a box. <laughs> or I'm five, gonna say, whatever. <laughs> I'm going to, you know, I've been, um, Involved with uh, CASE, the Council for Advancement and Supportive Education. I've been involved with AHP, the American uh, uh, you know, Healthcare uh, Associate for uh, Healthcare Philanthropy, AASP, APRA. Um, depending on where you are and what you need, each one of those organizations offers some very fine um, educational experiences and, and opportunities. The Institute for Charitable Giving. Uh, holds uh, conferences, uh, seminars uh, three times a year, and, and, and they're quite good and, and inspirational and, and practical as well. Um, so I, I really can't stack one on, on top of the other. I think I've always made decisions about conferences predicated on the subject matter being taught and the people and the reputation of the, of the speakers. Mm -hmm. um, and given limited resources, both for the seminar and travel, uh, it's a it's a matter of picking the one that's going to have the greatest rate of return um, in the um, in in the in the short term. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for being here today, Scott. I really appreciate it being at the conference and also joining us on Five Hundred One Crossroads. Can well, thank you for the work you're doing. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. So, how can our listeners get in touch with you? So our um, Contact information is uh, is pretty easy. It's Panas P A N A S Lindsay L A N Z Y dot com. That's mm -hmm. the website. There's a contact form there. The convention for meeting uh, or emailing any of our uh, partners is simply the first and last name followed by at PanasLindsay dot com. Mm -hmm. So in my case, it's Scott S C O T T Lang L E N G E, uh, and I'd be delighted to uh, respond to any questions that people may have. Excellent. Well, thank you so much. And thank you to all of you for joining us on 501 Crossroads. 501 Crossroads is recorded at the studios of Mind's Eye Radio and is produced and hosted by me, Marjorie Moore. Mike Curtis is our sound engineer. Please go to iTunes or Stitcher or your favorite app and subscribe and leave us some feedback so others can find us. You can find us on Facebook at 501 Crossroads. Thank you for listening. And remember, we're all working towards the same outcomes.